it should say fearless, confident, and beloved. And uh, taking great pleasure in ministering this word from the Lord today. I just uh, felt so good about the concepts here and have been living them out for quite some time now. So uh, hopefully everybody has an outline. If you don't have an outline, you might want to wave mushers if you could uh, just see if there's any hands up that need uh, an outline. We always have an outline because I, especially in here, I just feel like it's easier to follow and kind of get a sense of where we're going. And then also you can just take it home and study for yourself. I think that uh, the Word of God, when you hear something good, is best applied when you concentrate on it, you make it yours, right? So if you hear a promise or something you like, making the Word yours is a very powerful thing because the Word of God is living and active. It moves, right? It, it changes things. And that's how powerful it is. It's always been like that. And when you learn the knack of that and taking promises and incorporating their life, declaring with your mouth and then walking them out, it's just amazing how you can change and rearrange your life. And, and I especially like to do that in real common things, you know, ordinary things uh, like work and business and things that we need for our children and healing and all that. So, so the title of this sermon is Fearless, Confident, and Beloved. When you read biblical accounts of awesome experiences of God, believe that every one of them is available for you too. And that's really, really important. Otherwise, the Bible is sort of a dusty old meaningless book. But what makes it exciting is if that could happen to this guy, it could happen to me. This could happen to this gal, then maybe God has that for me. And boy, I tell you what, because the Bible is born out of experience and the experiences of all kinds of people trying uh, to believe God, trying to find provision for God, trying to walk with God, no matter what century they're in. It's such a treasure book of such great value to us because it gives us the way and the direction and gives us faith for our own life, right? So why do I say fearless, confident, and beloved? Well, it comes right out of the Psalms. Uh, one of my favorite characters in the Bible and probably most of yours is David, right? I like David so much because he went through so much trouble and also so much blessing <laughs> and did a couple of bonehead things he probably shouldn't have done right along the way and God forgave him and put him back in the saddle anyway right so he would write psalms like this Psalm 27 the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall I be afraid I'm under different ownerships what he was saying we can walk like that I'm under different ownership I have someone looking after my life besides me. Aren't you glad that's true? Thank God. Life could be incredibly insecure without that. And it's amazing how few people actually believe what I just said. But when you believe with all your heart like David did, I'll tell you what, whom shall I fear? It's amazing when you ever run across a person that isn't afraid. Have you ever run across a person like that? I love to be around people like that. They just aren't afraid. They just don't seem to be worried about anything. They're not afraid. It's comforting Actually, you sort of like to stand in their shadow, though, because everybody seems to run around with so much fear these days, especially. But to be near a person that's not afraid of anything is a very, very refreshing experience, and people can feel that. Here's David. When the wicked advance against me to devour me, and he uh, didn't theoretically know this, he actually <laughs> had that happen to him <laughs> several times, right? I mean, to devour him, to absolutely destroy him. It is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Ooh, I like that. I don't suppose anybody here has any enemies or foes. Anybody have an enemy or foe, right? Though an army, he says, besieged me. He literally had armies besieging him, literally. 
my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, and he changes gears, all this confidence, but then he tells you where the confidence comes from. So this is like a whole other way of looking at devotions, right? I think we have devotions because we're supposed to do that, everybody tells us we're supposed to do it, but out of those devotions, out of those times where we spend with the Lord in prayer, reading our Bibles, we should be reaping something. We should be reaping confidence, encouragement. So this is what he says the first three things, then he says this, well, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Verse 5, for in that lifestyle, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. And everybody has days of trouble, some bigger than others, right? He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. So all that intimacy with the Lord has an insulation about it. And in that insulation actually comes advice, words of wisdom about how to handle a problem, or even the movement of your enemies from here to here. They're right there in your face, and now they're gone, right? I don't suppose anybody has any enemies, but just in case, right? Because this is the next line. Then, when? In this place, from this prayerful place, gazing on the beauty of the Lord, meditating the Lord, then, what? My head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. So singing and making music to the Lord is also related to your enemies. Those things that are attacking you. I don't suppose anybody here has any problems, but just in case you have an enemy or two. Maybe it's a physical person or maybe it's some other situation that's got you off balance. So he's giving the antidote. He's staying in this place of gazing on the presence of the Lord, resting in the presence of the Lord. No matter what the circumstance of our lives, we can look to the Lord with a radiant face, never covered with fear or shame. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies, he says, verse 6. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Oh, I love those verses. Verses 15, I mean, uh, Psalm 34. I want to just read these verses. Actually, I should have been. <laughs> hey, that sounded pretty good, but I was not supposed to be in Psalm 34. Okay, good. Well, we got those over. Let's do this, these now, all right? I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Wow. How many fears? I think that means we're supposed to be fearless. Can you imagine in this day and age meeting a person who's fearless? The only ones that I know seem to be terrorists. I think Christians should be like this, fearless. Sometimes I get around a fearless person. I mean in the right way. And I tell you, it's really refreshing to be around a fearless person. Because they look at life a whole, a whole different way. You just feel better just being near them, right? Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame, verse 5. Because this is what they know. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Psalm 34, 8. Psalm 34, 9. 
Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. In other words, those who put him first in their life lack nothing. Wow. Lack what? Nothing. Wow. So even when they're in trouble, they know they're on their way to provision. They're already in there. They've already settled it on the inside before it comes on the outside. And sometimes those are those tests. And actually, David himself knew all about this. The writer of this psalm knew all about waiting. He knew all about tests. He knew all about being in mortal danger until the Lord delivered him. So he's not writing this from a theoretical point of view, is he? The eyes of the Lord, verse 15, are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. Ooh. Oh, man. Why pray? That's the reason why you pray. Because he listens, right? Fearless, confident, beloved. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. So this is no like kind of a difference between us and that don't know the Lord or doing evil, right? Their end is already written for them, right? But so is ours. It's right here in these verses. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. How, how many problems would that be? All? Sometimes it always seems like when we're going through life, there's always one problem that seems to evade uh, notice from the Lord, at least in our mind, right? Yeah, but what about? Anybody have any what abouts? You can go with me a little bit, but then you've got this one thing in your face, right? That won't seem to go away. But I think we should use that word all, including that one thing that seems to be evading us, seems to be troubling us. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So it's not so bad to be brokenhearted. He's close. So your best experience of God come in that space. And also when you develop a taste for the Lord in that space, it's not that you want to stay in that space. It's just you develop a taste for the Lord in that space so you can also taste Him in the victorious place and not get arrogant and not get so proud and arrogant that you fail again, right? The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. I don't even need to speak anymore. Okay, we're done. See you later. Oh, but I could never do that. <laughs> that psalm about says it, right? I mean, there's not much else. If you believe it, right? That's the whole key, though, right? All believers are also equipped to experience the emotional passion of the bride and the bridegroom and their relationship with Jesus. So we see many things that are written in the scripture, some in the Psalms a little bit, and sometimes in places like Revelation. But we're looking now toward the end of the book, right? And look what it says. And this is its theme all the way through the book. But Jesus, Jesus, I, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony to the churches. He's writing to the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. In other words, he's talking about history here. He came from King David, right, along that lineage. And the bright morning star, so I transcend uh, David like the stars above the earth, right? I'm the morning star, but I came in the form of a man with the authority, regal authority, powerful authority. The spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit and the bride, which would be us, say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Fearless, confident, beloved. All of this is possible through Jesus who paid the price for us to be saved and who supernaturally baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. So it gets even better. When we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we don't just move from 
prom- we move from promises, but we move into presence at the same time, which is the most amazing thing. Now, I believe there are times in the Old Testament, certainly with David, where he was sort of a forerunner. That's why he loved to be in the temple so much. He would experience the presence of the Lord, right? But this comes full circle to all of us. It was, a, it was the prelude to why we can be fearless, confident, beloved, because actually the very Spirit of God comes and lives on the inside of us. And that's the most beautiful thing of all. Acts chapter 1, this is after Jesus has been crucified. And so he's appearing to them over a period of days. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. So he not only came and bought their salvation on the cross, but he left behind one thing that he hadn't quite given them yet, as he's appearing to them over a number of years. And this is the gift of the Holy Spirit, which you've heard me speak about. The Holy Spirit had been around those times, but never like this. There was going to be a baptism, which means an immersion with the Holy Spirit that had not yet happened to humanity as a result of what Jesus bought for us on the cross. This is why I spend so much time on this in my class. I just do it year in, year out. Because it's the crux of the matter, this whole baptism of the Holy Spirit, this immersion of the Holy Spirit, not only once, but over and over and over again. I live for being immersed in the Holy Spirit. I, I live being immersed in someone supernatural. That's why I can be fearless, confident, and beloved, because something inside of me makes me bold. It makes me feel like I belong. It makes me fearless, right? That someone is the Spirit of God, which is the Spirit of the Father and the Son at the same time. For John Baptist rise with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's why I make such a big deal of this in my classes. I, I teach on this constantly because this baptism, which means immersion, this, this immersion this of, of the Holy Spirit is where all the action is. Then they gather around him and they said, well, that's nice, nice. I don't know what that means exactly. Lord, are, are you going to come back and restore the kingdom? Are we going to be politically powerful again? Uh, well, it's not time for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority. Notice he didn't neglect that. He didn't say no. He just said, it's not quite time yet. But you will receive power in this dispensation when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's why you can be confident because of this presence of the Spirit. That's why I spend so much time every year, three times a year, I'm in my class right now, helping them make sure they get this one right. That they can be filled with the Holy Spirit. In a culture that has a secular humanist worldview, it's a little difficult sometimes to grab a hold of something supernatural, especially God. Matter of fact, people actually in our culture gravitate sometimes, especially if they don't know the Lord, toward evil, toward, you know, occultic things. And there's a hunger for the supernatural, so sometimes people gravitate that way if they don't know the Lord because no one actually gave them a strong theology of the power of God <clears throat> so they can be fearless and confident. The power of God to heal, the power of God to deliver. And there's something about this uh, faith that we need in this whole process that uh, weighs for it, work, works for us, right? It's very, very interesting. Uh, Jesus promises this. He says it's going to happen, you know. But here's the interesting thing. I want you to look at several scriptures. You can see this on your outline, number two. Look, look at this. So before he resurrects from the dead, look at this. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. With that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Then he said, If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. He's breathing some kind of real spiritual authority on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. 
But then later he tells him, wait, you haven't quite got all of it, but now I'm going to give you a foretaste. He breathes on them. This is after he resurrects from the dead. Then in Acts chapter 2, it actually happens, doesn't it? We see this uh, day of, of Pentecost happens, right? He says, don't leave. You're about to receive something amazing. And they do, right? For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what happens in Acts chapter 2. Suddenly a, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were seated, sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is why from the beginning of the church, three times a year, I have a class. And my goal is that you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, that you start speaking in tongues. Because this is the headwaters. I don't know how you can neglect this. But you know what I found out? A lot of even believers that believe this don't apply this to their life and don't apply it for newly saved people or anybody that you know comes into the church. So we're actually hampering. We have an experience ourselves. That, and sometimes we put a shrine around it. Yeah, that happened to me X years ago. But this was meant to be active. Not only do I be filled with the Holy Spirit, but guess what? I need a refill. And I can continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is only the doorway. This is the open door to being fearless, confident, and beloved. Because the Spirit says how much He loves you. At the same time, it gives you confidence and boldness and signs and wonders and makes you fearless, right? Perfect love, Scripture says, casts out fear. So my goal in our classes is that you would encounter the loving God and the powerful God. And know that love that surpasses understanding because it's powerful in and of itself. It makes you confident. It makes you walk in a different way. And it's spiritual. It's supernatural. It's inside out. Only God can make you feel like that, especially when everything else is falling apart. Some of the bravest people I've ever known have been the people in the deepest, darkest tunnel of disappointment and discouragement, yet they just continue on. I've seen people that are sick, ill, Troubled in their family, households, heal and save all kinds of people, and yet wait for their miracle at the same time. What a dichotomy. We think we have to all be brushed up and everything be perfect, and then we're going to go out and heal. Actually, it works the other way. In your weakness, God loves to be strong. When you're weak, God loves to do the most miracles. I found I didn't have to qualify. I found I was qualified by my weakness because I'm throwing my whole weight. I'm not that confident in myself, but oh man, this Jesus I serve. Oh, he can do something for you, right? And people like that. They look at your example. Wow, he's still going. He's, wow, he's trusting for my, boy, he needs to be healed. He needs to be delivered. Yeah, I don't know. I'm waiting for my time. But in the meantime, let's get you saved and healed. How about that, right? How do you defeat people like that? How? Our issue in our culture is a spiritual matter. A deep down receiving matter of the authority and power and love of God, right? That'll get your theology right. That'll get your politics right. It'll give you the wisdom you need, give your power back, make you confident. It's amazing how in the world we see so few confident people in the world. We see lots of people with lots of dogma spouting things they're not even confident about, right? Manipulating and controlling people. But when you truly meet a confident person, it's a landmark deal. I mean, it's a landmark day. A confident person. A person that doesn't worry so much. A person that's not fearful. A person that's confident in moving forward, right? That's the reason I like my marketplace prayer meeting. Because uh, 
We've been doing that for quite some time, praying over our finances, and often people get in difficulty or trouble. But for years and years now, many have been praying through every little problem, every difficulty. And we all know they're just on the way to a blessing. They're on their way, right? And if you've been around long enough and seen all the places God's delivered us from and all the businesses that were failing and now are doing well and everyone that's prospering, it's just a matter of time. Look at Acts chapter 4, a couple of uh, chapters later, all right? So it turns out there's a reaction to all this confidence and all this prayer and all this healing, right? And so the, the Peter and John actually get arrested and then they get released and they have this prayer meeting, and look what, it, look what they do. They have another prayer meeting, and look what happens. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We don't care we got arrested. Do this, Lord. Look at this. And after they meeting, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I thought they already got filled with the Holy Spirit. Evidently, we leak and we need a refill, right? Because they got filled again and again and again and again. The first time we're filled with the Holy Spirit and experience God is just the first time. Thank God for more and more baptisms. Baptism means immersion, these fillings with the Spirit of God, right? And you look at Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 18, Paul's speaking, and, and uh, again, we see this theme. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So he compares it again to wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, we need to be under the influence, right? Not of wine or drugs or weird philosophies. Man, I tell you what, you can just turn the news on and watch these people. They're under the influence, all right, of weird philosophies and weird visions. And even now, increasingly, demonic power, obvious demonic power, setting up uh, you know, satanic little clubs for kids in schools in our area. Did you know that? In our region. Can you imagine? Wow. Man, I love our school. School's where it's at, man. We're fighting for the minds and hearts of our kids. We have to have schools. We don't. There was a time when, okay, go to public school or not, but I don't think that, I think that time's passed. It's not that you can't do well in a public school. I, you can do fine there, right? But there's a whole lot of people that don't do fine there, and we have to take our education back. And plus, we do education better than anybody else. Our kids are smart. We take time with them. You know, your kids need to be smart because they need to rule the world. They need to own the place. They need to start the best businesses, make the most money, heal the most people, save the world from social issues and ills, right? And it comes from this filling of the Holy Spirit. He says, instead, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't get drunk. Don't get under the under influence of anything else. Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So after this service, I'm going to pray for anybody that wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily mean you're coming up here to speak in tongues or anything. It just means you just need a redose. You need a dose. You need to be right here before the Lord and say, Lord, fill me again. Touch my heart again. I surf the worship for that, right? But sometimes I just need a little extra. And actually, we, we see throughout the scriptures that actually we're powerful not only in the sense that we can receive, but also that we can give. So if I get a whole team up here 
they're, they're loaded, man. They're, they're, they got their guns loaded for you. I mean, they, they can pray and release. You know, it's not because they're so great. They're not. But the very act of one person praying for another person, where two or three gather together and pray and agree about something, moves the needle. And your faith to get out of your seat and to come and have someone pray for you is what made the difference. Now, they might have some faith, too, for you and hear God's voice and everything, but the very act of that is powerful. That's why we speak to one another with psalms. They can speak to one another with, one another with a, a prophetic word, a, an awareness, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. We, we do that in the room. That's why the room feels different after you sing. Because the Spirit inhabits the praises of His people. I don't see how people... I'm, I'm sort of addicted to that. I don't have to come to church. I get to come to church. And it's a letdown if I have to watch it on TV. But that's okay, too. It's pretty good there, too. Quality's getting better and better, but nothing like the room full of people. You never know what's going to happen in the room full of people. They're all Jesus people. They have the Spirit on the inside of them. They're dangerous. They're armed. <laughs> They're dangerous. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? The central issue is when you gather together, Jesus shows up. Or two or three gather together. Why would you not want to be where Jesus shows up? It only takes two. But what if there's a whole bunch more than two? Wow. God's there, right? He fills us. He immerses us with his presence. Sometimes I come in here and worship, and I get so overwhelmed with worship. I don't even want to come up here and speak. I just want to stay in my seat and just worship, right? I want to just keep going, you know. Because the, 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 that's why... Honestly, that's why we created a Monday night service. I created a Monday night service because we used to do it at our house all the time, and we liked it to worship 45 minutes, hour, and we usually go an hour, 15 minutes, hour and a half. I don't even look at my clock. I just worship till I drop, right? But I'm full of the Spirit. And you, don't know, you never know what will happen after that. That's why I do the Monday night service. I do the Monday night service because I mine out what can happen if you just do unabashed worship to God fully and completely without thinking about my watch, thinking about the kids, thinking about what we're going to do. I'm just worshiping God. And then I hear God's voice. And somehow I'll get a prophetic word from me or something will happen or I'll just be encouraged in some way, right? Because it's the presence of God that makes the difference, right? It's the Lord that makes the difference. Speaking to one another. This is, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 of Ephesians 5. Speaking to one another, psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. God not only fills us with powerful with power, but embraces us with love and compassion, like a father would his children. By him, the Scripture says, we cry, Abba, Father. We shriek, Daddy, in other words. Right? We were meant to experience a veritable downpour of God's love. Romans 5.5. 5. I want to just read that little passage. Romans 5.5. 5. And hope does not disappoint, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That word is a very dramatic word from the Greek. It's like a downpour. It's not like just a little pouring. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So I can read a nice little safe scripture like that. But turns out when that happens, in reality, well, it's not just a little sprinkle, but when God's uh, poor, a love gets poured out on you. If you've ever had that experience, 
and I, I, I look for it around every turn. It disarms me. It completely takes me apart piece by piece it, and redoes me. It, and, and those experiences are more common than you would think. It's just that we don't trust and believe that those kind of things can happen anymore with the love of God. Happen in, in history and often, sometimes when you have a big enough experience like that, it's the beginning of, of something new, something different, right? And we have, I've had times like that and I, I just like this little testimony. Some of you have, have heard of Charles Finney, which was a famous evangelist, evangelist, great, great evangelist in the 1800s, late 1800s. And so, Here's what kicked his ministry off. He says, I returned to the office and found that the fire that I had made of large wood was merely, nearly burned out. But as I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. Turns out that could happen anywhere. And actually, I found out this baptism, which means immersion, to immerse, happened to me in the strangest of circumstances and the strangest of places, not always in church. And when it happens to me, I go, because I, I, you know, I'm so used to that happen in a spiritual place, right? But it happens to me, I, I've found myself doing this. How are you doing that? How are you doing that? There's no church. There's nothing around. You know, a matter of fact, this is the last place I would expect you, but I feel your presence. I feel your love. How are you doing? <laughs> it's that weird, right? So he has this experience, a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. But I want you to notice the characteristics of it, because usually we think about gifts and spiritual experiences, healing in tongues maybe, without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in my mind that there was any such thing for me. I'm going to just say that. Without ever having anything thought in mind there was such a thing for me. What thing? An overwhelming sense of the love of God. Immersed in a place where you just feel God's compassion for you. This is available for us. And I think by even becoming more aware that these things come, sometimes people have experiences like this and they go, oh, I don't know what to do with this, you know, and kind of, whoa, what, what's happening? Boy, I get a little love in me, I just go, ah, more, more, Lord, more. And no matter where I'm at, I could be on a bus. I'm trying to be too obvious about it, but sometimes I'm having a feast in places wherever people are, and it's an ordinary place. I've had it happen at a ball game before. Of course, I'm not sure if that was, <laughs> so the way we were winning or losing, but anyway. <laughs> But I've had amazing revelatory experiences everywhere. Everywhere. That's where it should be, isn't it? Shouldn't you be able to take this out? Love, feeling the passion of love, feeling a supernatural love is the open door to revelation and insight. God's voice suddenly becomes clear. You know the right time and procedure for everything. You know what to do. Without any expectation of it, without ever having... The thought in my mind there was any such thing for me without any recollection that I'd ever heard that the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Ghost descended on me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I just read you where that is in the Bible. But evidently this hadn't been very common, this sense of, of, of love and, and compassion and electricity even. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. It's, indeed it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love for I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. That's a scripture, by the way. I wept aloud with joy and love, and I do not know, but I should 
say I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. The waves came over me and over me, one after the other, until I recollect, I, I cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear any more, yet I had no fear of death. Now, I used to read stories like that, and I thought, man, that's pretty interesting. I have no idea what you're talking about, but that's very interesting, right? Until it happened to me. And I'm going to tell you, in these years, now and ahead, it's going to happen more and more. And um, sometimes I, I think that we don't fully take note when God brings something to us, a word of encouragement, a word of faith, especially in a place that we're not familiar with, especially in a place maybe outside of church or outside of a meeting. But I just want you to know these experiences are all over. I had one little minor one walking the property yesterday. I had another one when I walked in the warehouse. I just uh, was aware of the presence of God. Sometimes I'm in a place, you know, and it's not such a holy place or a, a good place, right? And I've asked the Lord literally, how are you doing that? This is not supposed to be a place where I should feel God. I don't like where I'm at right now. How am I feeling? That? How are you doing that? I've asked the Lord that many times. How are you doing that? Because I have a paradigm for it. I used to kind of ignore it, thinking, what's the matter with me? Am I getting a little, like soft or teary what's, what's wrong with me I must be having a nervous breakdown first I thought I was having nervous breakdowns you know but as it's happening more frequently I realized oh it's God just giving me a big hug right a sense of fullness of God's love matter of fact this is why I'm in the vineyard so I was a part of another movement for a long time and some of you know my testimony in this but uh, it turns out that the vineyard has more of this than the average movement or average place so I'm carrying that torch some of our own churches have let go because they didn't experience this in the beginning like I did but when I got to the vineyard I was an evangelist missionary traveling all over the place from one end of this earth to the other I was gone a month at a time just preaching and teaching and and, uh, and uh, starting churches and doing all kinds of things I travel from church to church speaking and uh, so then came the vineyard. Uh, I didn't know what to think of the vineyard because there were some strange things. I'd been doing a lot of Hebrew hoedown with my worship, you know, and I was bouncing a lot. We had plenty of Pentecostal experience in tongues. That's about all we knew, but we did. And then I came to the vineyard, and it was so strange because I couldn't put my finger on it. First of all, I thought to myself, this must be one of the most sinful places on the earth. Because I give these altar calls about stuff. If you've, missed, if you've been in my life in the spirit class, you've heard me talk about this. I give these altar calls. Okay, everybody having trouble with homosexuality, come up to the front. And, whoa, 200 people. And I'm going, whoa. Whoa. Or drugs, or you name it. Didn't matter. 500 people go. And then be up there crying, and just somebody praying over them. And I'm thinking, whoa. All the sinners in this whole area found this one place. I wonder about the other people. What kind of people are in this place, right? I appreciate the 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 uh, compassion, but the sin was like, whoa, man, yikes! You know, I hadn't been in California very long, right? So I'd been in another place, and we either didn't talk about that kind of stuff, or there wasn't that kind of stuff. But all I know is, wow. But I began to notice things, you know. Uh, I began to notice certain things uh, about uh, the compassion and the, and the mercy and everything, you know. And, uh, 
And so uh, I got in a difficult space and uh, because things weren't working out so well with our ministry. But also, I just didn't know where I belonged. And I loved, began to love this place more and more, the vineyard and stuff. And, um, and so uh, I ended up at Eddie Peorick's place. And uh, he kept talking about this love thing. And I thought to myself, if he talks about love one more time, I'm just going to scream. <laughs> That's the place I was in, right? Because obviously I was missing something. <laughs> Very religious, faith-filled, love miracles. But there was something a little amiss, right? I didn't know it. Until, and most of you know this story and I talk about it all the time. But the reason why I talk about it all the time is I, I figured out that... Uh, once you're carrying the love of God, you're, you're like infectious. You can pass it on to somebody else in prayer, right? And so I'm infectious now. And every time I have my class, we get to that part of the Father's love part. And, uh, and so what happened to me was I ended up uh, uh, at Eddie's house one night. And uh, I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be at the Angels baseball game. Uh, and I, my buddy was trying to talk me out of going, you know. He's here from Switzerland. He'd never seen a baseball game. But I decided to go to his house instead, you know. And I thought, oh, man, I, I dreaded the whole thing. What am I doing? I don't want to go to a newcomer's class. But I thought I should go for some reason. And the Spirit fell on me in a way I'd never felt before. And it was power, but I was also I found myself weeping a little bit. And I thought, man, I am really losing it. This is really bad. I'm becoming like all these other weepy people. They're always crying and doing stuff, you know. Because I'd see these altar girls. Everybody's always crying, you know. I thought, man, there must be a lot of depressed, discouraged people around here, whatever. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just, maybe they're all having, maybe they're jobless, or maybe I could, no, this isn't a recession or anything. You know, I think about that a lot, you know. And then a little bit later, I was uh, eating dinner at John Weber's table. And this, these passages um, became very real to me because the Spirit of God fell on me in a way that I'd never experienced before. Maybe Romans 8, 14 to 16 explains it uh, pretty well. And it's been since that time that I've been hoping and praying all the time that the same thing would happen to everybody else. Because I realized it was the core of Jesus. It was the core of walking even in the Spirit was love. But I didn't understand. I didn't understand love I was supposed to, but I didn't understand love that pierces your heart, that soaks your soul, that gives you everything you've really been looking for, drives your depression out, and causes a sense of awareness of the Spirit of God like no other thing, even faith can't. So we see it in Acts chapter 8, 14, by those who, but those, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. The Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. This cry is an animal scream. We scream, Abba, Daddy. Not just Father, but Daddy. The Spirit Himself testifies. That's the word we get martyr from. Strong testimony with our spirit that we're God's kids. So I realized that's what happened to me. Because in John's office, the Spirit fell on me, I ended up on the floor crying like a baby, not knowing exactly what was going on, thinking I was, might have had a nervous breakdown. I thought maybe, and while I was down there, I'm thinking, I've really lost it, man. I have really, really, wow, what's going on here, right? And it was an incredible week, because all in one week, when that hit me, my life changed dramatically. And I began to look at everybody differently. 
people on the street everywhere. I look at them and and I'd see things on television, you know, and I would, you know, like Ferdinand the Bull. That's what I felt like. You ever Ferdinand the Bull? You know, I felt weak. I felt uh, just I felt very much like on myself. I, I would see a little boy in the TV give flowers to his mother, and I'd start crying. I'm thinking, man, I'm having. I didn't want to tell Janice too much about it. At that point, I think I'm having. I thought maybe I was having a nervous breakdown or something was going on here, you know. And uh, and Eddie had to explain it to me, you know. But it was hard for me to understand because I was something going on internally that I wasn't connecting. I didn't understand. He began to show me these scriptures and everything, and I began to understand and more and more. And I realized that uh, I was going to be in this weepy place for a while with the vineyard. Well, it turned into one year, two years, five years. Just kept going, right? And so it's funny because the international stuff that I was doing just got stronger, bigger, bolder, crazier. I had more power than I'd ever had. I, I found the healing anointing and speaking anointing was so much more powerful than I ever had. I, I felt like I was uh, speaking from my heart. It was this fearless, confident, beloved person now. It's one thing to be fearless, but it's another thing to be beloved. If you're loved, I'll tell you what, that, that puts you in a place of fearlessness. It's usually because we don't feel taken care of or that we don't think God really is going to help us, right? That we don't have faith. Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love, he says, has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this must have been an ordinary experience for the church, this love poured out through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. I just didn't have much of it until that date. And then I read that thing from Charles Finney, right? And I began to see other people in church history that had the very same thing. He, he called it, No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad on my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. I, didn't, I do not know, but I should say I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. The waves came over and over, one after another, and so... This was the beginning of one of the most famous evangelistic ministries of all time in the United States. He began to preach from that place. He was concerned about the loss and evangelistic mindful, but now there was something different on the inside of him. And there was something on the different, different on the inside of me, right? And then I began to read passages uh, like, you know, 1 John uh, 5, 3. It says something... Uh, which is, I, I just love these these sort of verses. They all began to come out to me, you know, that uh, God, carrying out, uh, we love because he, he first loved us. His commands are not burdensome. Because God's presence is always there when we obey. There's a book called, uh, I Dare to Call Him Father. And you can see there in the middle of your page, her name, that wrote, the lady that wrote this, I think she's dead now, but her name's Bill Quees Shake. I got a hold of this a few years ago. One of the most dramatic books I've ever read, and I'll be talking about it from my, my class this coming up soon. And so this lady uh, was a broken-hearted lady. Her husband had left her, but she was a Pakistani aristocrat. And so she was very wealthy, but her husband left her and broke her heart. And she was very hungry, and she knew a couple of Christians in the country, but there was only a handful that she'd ever met. And one of them was at the hospital, and she'd met... A nun who was uh, she kind of liked but didn't understand her, and she began to watch them a little bit. And so she was so brokenhearted. Every time she read, you know, the Muslim books, uh, it didn't give her anything for a broken heart. So she began to read the Bible a little bit, 
And she just read it, just page after page after page, learning about Jesus. And one of the things that she got out of it was she, she kept thinking, wow, there's so much love here. Wow, we don't know anything like that in Islam. I don't, and that's, that's what she needed. And then she began to read about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And she, be, she began to realize that uh, as she looked through the scriptures, it seems that there was this love and there was this Holy Spirit. Those were the two dominant things that happened to her, uh, that were happening to her as she was reading. And she began to ask a couple of questions, very guardedly, because even today you can get arrested for you know, being a very public Christian in Pakistan, which is where it was, right? And so the Lord literally led her through the Bible. And she, she had no one else to tutor. She just read it. And she noticed that she needed to receive Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. So she received him as her Lord and Savior. But she kept seeing this other thing about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. She said, okay, God, I'm ready for that. What, what does that mean? Here, please baptize me with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's an interesting thing. When she got baptized with the Holy Spirit, she not only spoke in tongues, but she got immersed with love at the same time. It undid her completely from the inside out. Not only is she getting a gift, but in that mixture she got, she found the love of the Father. And she began looking at that. She's beginning thinking, wow, this is so different. In Christianity, I get to feel the love of God. Now, nobody's talking to her. She's just learning this all on her own, right? She's learning. Then she discovered some things. She discovered, well, she decided, you know, it seems they always gather in groups. Maybe I should find a group. It's, it would be risky, but I've got to find a Bible study. And so she went to start going to a Bible study, right? And they started teaching. She began to have fellowship. And she began to so notice some things in her spirit. She noticed that when she read the Bible every day, she was happier, and that presence would stay. But when she missed a day, she felt like something was missing. Then she noticed that when she went to the meeting, she felt better also, more encouraged. But when she missed the meeting, she felt bad. She didn't feel the presence of God, the love of God, because she was feeling the love of God everywhere. And then they came down to things she just... She literally was being discipled by the love of God. Whenever she did something that caused the love to evaporate, she, she wouldn't do it anymore. But when she felt the love come, she would do it. She, she, everything was by the love of God. Then came the day when God asked her to forgive her husband. Oh, she didn't want to forgive her husband. And when she didn't, and he was telling her to forgive her husband, you know... <clears throat> It was just, she couldn't feel God anymore. And it got worse and worse. So finally, like about 3 o'clock in the morning, she crawled out of bed. And so God, have mercy. I forgive him. I forgive him everything he's done to me and all the injury, I forgive him. And when she said that, she said it was like waves of liquid love just flowed back over her. And she realized without anybody teaching her, telling her just the Bible, learning step by step, she learned how to walk with God. And she always walked with God according to the presence of the Lord. When she felt, when she read her Bible, she felt the love again, right? And she just learned how to do the things that caused her to flourish inside. And she didn't bear that horrible bitterness anymore. She was free. She was happy. She began to prosper in every way. So I thought that's a very interesting thing. Fearless, confident, and beloved a woman that's being discipled by Jesus through the scriptures, noticing the important things and noticing the distinct difference between religion and Jesus is love. Right? 
So Roman numeral three, when you believe God truly loves you and sincerely yearns to be tender toward you, major spiritual breakthrough happens. I like what Brennan Manning says, tenderness is what follows when someone reveals to you your inner beauty when you discover your belovedness. That's what Jesus does. He helps you discover your belovedness. It's a spiritual thing. It's a very real thing. Many of us get caught, up, uh, 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 caught off guard or maybe cut off from God because there's something, whatever it is, that is keeping us from the love. It's the love of God that disciples you. I think the truth of God also helps, right? Because you know what not to do. You know some things God doesn't like. But in the end, it comes down to what he likes and what he doesn't like. And when you do what he likes, it's good. When you don't do what he likes, you feel bad. You feel injured somehow. You feel small. I just didn't know how exaggerated this whole thing is. I didn't know how exaggerated tenderness could be. I had felt little pieces of love, but I didn't understand how dramatic it could be. And the vineyard, in its original genetic code, was filled with this love and mercy. If you remember, even at the beginning of the movement, thousands of people gathered in the same room. Place my feet upon a rock. Put a new song in my heart, O Lord, have mercy on me. We sing those kind of songs over and over again. That's why we sing a lot of love songs here. Because the love songs are where the Spirit is. The love songs rest on us. and We open our heart and we'll forgive others and we'll do what the Scripture says about just some simple things relationally. Love comes. I think that a lot of people don't follow God very hard because they don't experience the love. They've been so beaten and so destroyed, maybe by a bad relationship or a difficult situation. It's so painful. And it cut them off from the good stuff, from the predominant thing of love. But there's faith, right, that's required, and there's mercy that's required. But this love, compassion that we feel on the inside and express toward others is, is, the, is the key. So he, Brendan Manning says, Tenderness is what follows when someone reveals to your inner beauty. When you discovered your belovedness, when you are sincerely liked by someone, in short, what happens is I grow tender. So when God shows you that you're liked, you get tender. It's probably the major battleground for the ongoing walk with the Lord in our life. Letting God show you he loves you is the greatest journey you'll ever take. When you get cut off from that because of a disappointment maybe, a discouragement, something that's happened in your life, some provision that didn't come, something that greatly disappointed you, maybe someone died that was close to you, you fill in the blank. But in that place, when you get cut off from that source, from that compassion, is where we feel the most pain. Because we're not only cut off from compassion, but from the Lord himself, right? So this lady I was talking about is literally discipled by Jesus because there wasn't anybody else around. There was hardly any other believers around her, but she got discipled by the Bible and the things that brought the love and compassion of God and filled her up again. And she would do those things, right? Tenderness is what God gives to our heart when we allow him to supernaturally love us. 1 John 4:19 sets it really simply. We love because he first loved us. I need to underline this a little bit again because I, I know that verse. I read that verse 5,000 times. But I'm thinking more of it like something he did a long time ago that qualifies me to be a Christian and go to heaven. But it really is, describes in one little sentence, 
when I get cut off from feeling the love of God, compassion for me in my own situation and in my own life and where I'm at, when I get cut off from that, I also stop loving other people, right? So it's so important for our walk with the Lord. There are several on-ramps to supernatural impartations, Roman numeral 5. One of them is, don't conform to the pattern of this world. If you make a mistake, confess quickly and lead hard on God's compassion to forgive you. Love will prompt you to lay down those things that aren't good for you, even the attitudes that aren't good for you, right? Ask the Father for His Holy Spirit. You can literally do that. We see that in Luke chapter 11. Which of your fathers, verse 11, 11, 11, if your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. If he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And with the Holy Spirit, not just a hazy sort of supernatural being, but I'm talking about the love of God, the faith of God, the hope of all the Holy Spirit and his attributes, the most dominant of which is love. So ask the Spirit, ask the Lord for his Spirit, ask the Lord for his love. Believe and make space for God to fill you with his Spirit again and again because there's this close connection between being filled with the Holy Spirit and love. Be a good receiver. Huge doses of worship, hanging out with other believers who are hungry for God really helps. Have you noticed in the worship, and this is something that our movement has, all movements in the Lord around the earth have things they're good at, best, better at, right? But we've always, from the very beginning, tried to sing love songs to the Lord. Because that seemed to be, for us, where the presence is, and still to this very day, right? And so worship, for us, is more than just worship. That's why we don't just sing a few songs and leave. We, we worship till we feel the love of God, the presence of God on us, right? Because that's what we're, we're sort of addicted to that. I don't know about you, but I'm sort of addicted to that. So I... Worship isn't the prelude for the sermon or for the important stuff. It is the important stuff. And if I can somehow catch up with the worship, you know, and make a good comment, that's good. But I really need huge doses of worship and hanging out with other believers who are hungry for God like me. And somehow God inhabits the praise of his people. But one of the most dominant things is love. And when you come to church... Come for the Holy Spirit. Come for God. And come for His attributes. Come to be comforted. Come to hear His voice. And then when you get that, come to release that kindness on somebody else. Scripture says, we love, why? Because He first loved us. Somehow or another, we forgot the because He first loved us part. And so we just keep trying to help and help and serve and serve and serve. But without that space... Without that love space, without that worship space where I feel God's presence, you know, it's difficult. And there are several on-ramps to the supernatural impartation Roman rule 4. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is a very loveless place. If you make a mistake, confess quickly and lean hard on God's amazing compassion. Ask the Father continually for His Holy Spirit. Believe and make space for God to fill you with His Spirit again and again. Be a good receiver. Huge doses of worship and hanging out with other believers who are hungry for God really, really helps. So I think that I'm sort of in our church speaking to the choir here. I think I'm speaking to a rather large number of you that are kind of addicted 
to the love and presence of God. <laughs> it's almost you have to come to get your addiction taken care of, right? And it could be in small gatherings or big gatherings, but that's why we're always doing worship. Because I can feel the presence of God there. Otherwise, it's just songs, and sometimes some corny songs, right? It would just be corny stuff, right? But in our worship, if it doesn't have love in it, if you can't feel God's compassion and Him talking to you in it, then why, why would we do that, right? Fortunately, I believe in our day and time, there are more and more songs that are written from this dimension of compassion and love and cause something to happen on the inside of you. Take advantage of painful circumstances to let God show His love to you. Don't get hardened. Let God soften you. So when you're going through a hard time, it's a perfect time to experience God's comfort and the comfort of others. If you don't have a theology for it, it can be pretty rough because instead of getting softer, you get religious. It's amazing how you can get religious and hard when you're in a difficult space. It's very easy to disarm. You just know that when you get that way, you just got to stop doing that. <laughs> but sometimes without love shining the flashlight, you don't know what spirit you're of. I see a lot of people compensate, you know, with theology and things they've learned, you know, to try to keep their head up. But I tell you what, surrendering to God's love and His presence is the most dynamic thing you can experience because God knows how, exactly how to touch that place and speak to you at a time when you just need it or maybe you don't even need words. Discover, believe, and meditate on the many promises of the goodness of God. I spend a lot of time doing this. I find the scripture really works uh, for me when I when I make sure that uh, the scriptures that I'm you know, um, dealing with, the scriptures that I'm reading from, the scriptures I'm depending on, uh, build me up and these this very these very things that I'm talking about, right? Like for example, Psalm 27, 13 and 14. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart. And there's all kinds of psalms like that. As a matter of fact, this whole Psalm 27 is just just like that. It's all put together with those sort of things. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it's my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Why is that? Because God loves me. I'm really special. You touch God's beloved, you're going to get it. <laughs> Though an army besiege me, you know, I'm not even going to worry about that. My heart won't be afraid. David's writing this. He literally has armies besieging him. He learned something in that secret place about the love of God. He wasn't dependent on his power or his army. He, didn't, he just wasn't afraid. That's why he could go against Goliath that day. It wasn't that he was so skilled and able. He just had enough experience with God. He learned how big God was because he learned how much God loved him. Though an army besieged me, and he literally had that happen. <laughs> the writer of this psalm literally had this happen. My heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I'll be confident. Why is that? One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So we're gazers. We come to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. That's what makes the difference. For in the day of trouble, we all got troubles at home. We got to deal with things. When we leave here, maybe you have to deal with things. But when I'm gazing on the beauty, notice the beauty, the love of God, the kindness of God. Notice that. 
In the day of trouble, he'll keep me safe in my dwelling. I'm not afraid. He'll hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. My, my. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with sounds of shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. We don't just sing and make music. We sing of the love songs. We sing of the love of God. That was one of the main differences I encountered when I went from where I had been to the vineyard. I kept thinking... Wow, these guys are always singing about love. You know, I never could understand it very much. It sort of bounced off me until I began to experience and drink what they were drinking. Then I went, oh, now I got it. Hear my voice when I call. Now he's praying. Be merciful to me and answer me. When you know God loves you, you start praying like crazy. Oh, how horrible to think of prayer as a discipline. So many of these things, like reading your Bible and praying, the church treats as discipline. Got to be disciplined. Got to do that. That's just something you got to do to keep your spiritual life. You could do that and not ever believe a word you say or, or read or think. Doesn't need good to go to read it without believing it. But the best part is believing that in those scriptures you'll find a merciful and kind God, a God that looks after you. It's an example. He wants you to do well. Hear my voice when I call. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says, if you seek His face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face for me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. But then it goes there. But I, <laughs> I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Why was he confident? Because he had already tasted the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He was tasting the Lord while he's praying. He could feel the love of God. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Here's another one that's very helpful as an on-ramp to spiritual, supernatural impartation, especially in this area of love and confidence and belovedness. Be a good giver. Pass the currency, the supernatural currency of God, onto other people. Oh boy, such a powerful passage. When you look at passages like Matthew 10, he instructed them, As you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And he says, Do acts of mercy, heal the sick. What, me? No, this is an act of mercy. Healing the sick is one thing. We're thinking about having a healing meeting or getting the same power, but. When you realize that when you pray for a sick person, you're showing mercy to them, that makes all the difference in the world in your motive and how effectively you pray. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Wow. Oh, I love those verses so much, but they come from somewhere. They come from this beloved place. They come from actually loving the people you're ministering to, actually loving yourself and feeling this compassion and you just can't help but give it away, right? And that leads us to some of the most spectacular things that I believe the body of Christ can do, but only under this guise. Otherwise, it becomes religion. I remember meeting Mother Teresa in that week I told you about a lot about, and when you meet her, when you met her and all the other people around, in my current my place, the place I was in, I was expecting something different. But what I got out of that time there in that leper colony was compassion. 
grace. They weren't all standing around waiting to see if that person would get up or be healed. They were just ministering to them and praying for them and loving them, right? And then you see miracles from that place. You do, right? But sometimes in Pentecostalism, the edge is too hard. It's just too hard. One thing I learned about, I've been watching some old films of my mentor. I say my mentor. I only met him a couple of times, but Oral Roberts, right? I went to school there. And when you look at him and you watch the way he was doing, he had been healed of a horrible disease himself, tuberculosis, I believe it was, or some lung disease. But when you watch him and minister, he came out of this compassion. I watched old films of him, and I watched him while he was at school, and I would watch him. And all of it was drenched in compassion because he had been in that horrible place that other people had been, that poverty place, that sick place, right? And, uh, and so he was able to pass it on, right? Matthew 10 Seven. To ten. As you go, proclaim this message: the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely receive, freely give. You know, I watch our tent out there carefully. I don't go in much. I just hang around the edges. Because I'm hoping and praying that the religious spirit won't be there. That it won't come, and we're kind of getting brownie points for the Lord. But I'm just looking for compassion in there and seeing if it's still there, right? When they worship, when they pray for the people. And I have a good report. Partially because Peggy's looking after it. She does such a good job in that area. But the compassion's always there. That's why that ministry under that tent that we do three days a week is so lovely. It's not the power, it's the compassion, the mercy. We're giving them food, we're praying for them, they're all receiving prayer. Right? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely give. It makes a difference when you come from this place. Somehow faith follows this place of compassion. I have the most confidence, one of the most compassionate. Matter of fact, I will do things, if I feel compassion in my heart, that I would never do out of just good works. It's when I feel that thing, and when I feel it, I go, uh-oh. Jesus, what am I going to do? This is like, this is going to be really embarrassing. Oh boy. But I just can't help it. I can't help it. I just feel so much compassion. And so that makes me walk up to complete strangers and just talk to them. It makes me pray differently. It makes me do things differently. And this compassion is available. It's, it's the core of what we are. Sometimes in Signs of Waters, Miracles, Ministry, we lose that. But Every greatest great faith healer that I know that really had the goods also had this unusual sense of compassion and love about them. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? Fasting could be a very religious thing, by the way. But notice he says, this is what I think about fasting. Here's what you do. You loose the chains of injustice and you untie the cords of the yoke. You set the oppressed free. Isn't it to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? we ever lose our sense of compassion as we do these things, it's just no good anymore, right? We're just doing religious stuff, duty. You get into the have-to department. I don't want to be in the have-to department. I want to be in the get-to department. I want to do these things because I get to, not because I have to, right? Provide the poor wanderer with shelter. I, I don't have to. I get to do that. I never get tired of doing that. And it's, sometimes it's hard to do that. 
hard to know what to do, what the right procedure is. When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Your healing. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, he hates that, the pointing finger and malicious talk. And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. We don't have to feed people. We don't have to clothe people. We don't have to house people. We get to. The dividends are outstanding. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He'll strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a garden a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You'll be called repairer of broken walls. You know why we don't have any repair of broken walls anymore, even though everybody talks about it politically over and over again? It's because we forgot the compassion. He made a religion out of it. You want to get this disgusting little problem because it's not political for you. It's not expedient for you to have all these poor people, these people that are broken, not doing well, right? And then when you do it, you don't have any wisdom at all because compassion gives great wisdom. You don't do stupid stuff when you're compassionate. You do smart things, what's right for the person. And you talk to them, and you generally try to make friends with them, and you try to heal them as best you can because sometimes they just need healing on the inside. Luke 6, 37, 38, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Oh, man. We don't get have to give. We get to give. Are you kidding? Look at this. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is the key to your healing. This is the key to every problem. Measure out abundantly to somebody else, and it will be measured back to you, whatever you need, right? Have other people pray in prayers of impartation to you for various purposes and giftings. There's some amazing, amazing passages, lovely passages, because this turns out this thing called prayer is so incredibly powerful, right? It has so much uh, grace for us. Just the simple act of praying for people, right? Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I think what defines a righteous person is not only that they're good, but that they're loving. I think that's the definition, that they have kindness in them, right? It's powerful and effective. And if you remember that, then you don't spend so much time trying to measure up. You spend a lot more time trying to love the person in front of you, right? Trying to love people that God places on you, right? 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7 says, For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but give us power, love, and self-discipline. I'll tell you, I, I think that is so powerful. You know, this Charles Finney was one of the most uh, fiery preachers in the whole planet. You know, isn't it interesting that had these waves of liquid love flowing through him? He was literally had this experience where he was bellowing out the utterable, unutterable gushings of his heart, right? Believe me, when you have an experience like that, you want to go back and keep having that experience. I think, actually, we probably need to redefine our definition of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Really, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not so you can get filled, (laughs) 
right, to do some spectacular thing. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is being filled with love over and over again. When he commands you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, he's offering, he's making an offer to you. He's not giving you a command so much as he's making an offer to you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an invitation to compassion and love and grace and hearing God's voice. Wherever there's love, by the way, is there's God's voice. Jesus said about himself, for the Father loves the Son and shows him what he's doing. I think probably there's a number of people here that would like to know what the Father's doing in their life. Well, there's just this little step here before that. When you feel his love, you'll find out what he's doing. It's not so hard to discern. That doesn't mean you're going to get all of it like a computer printout, but you get a good sense of it. It's just that when you run out of love, you get into desperation. And then you search every book and every scripture and try to find this and hold your mouth right there. But love settles the thing. You put it in the Father's hands, and love has this way of speaking in ways that other things don't. For the Father, Jesus said, loves the Son, and then he shows him what he's doing. So I don't know about you, but every direction that we take as a church, you know, and every step that we take as individuals, I want love to be behind it, right? I was very careful about starting the school this time. When we started, we'd had a school before, and it was a great school. My youngest son benefited from that, but I also understood how hard of work it was, how much it was going to take out of us, how much cost was going to be involved in the facilities. But when I came around to the school this time, there was something different. I just had compassion. I thought, wow, this is going to be hard. But I got compassion. I got compassion for our children. I got compassion for this generation. They need something more. They need a safe place, but they need a loving place. They, They need Jesus, a place where they can find Jesus. They need a place where they can grow up in the strength and the admonition of the Lord and learn study hard and work hard and at the same time feel loving people around them, right? I just, uh, so we went back into school, right? And, and I, I think uh, I was in a way kind of apprehensive because I knew how much work it was going to take, but you know, when you know how much hard work is going to be or sacrifice, love wins the day every time. Love will make me do things that I would never do out of discipline, never in a million years. But love get you working harder than you've ever worked. Love will cause you to sacrifice and do things that you never would do. And, and so even the warehouse and other things we're doing, things we're considering doing, I just try to always make sure that I'm doing this not to be famous, not to be big, not to be strong, but to be loving. And if it's compassion, then I think it's worth doing. If it's not motivated that way, then we just got religious and tried to be impressive some way. And that just, just brings death, right? Some of you, I'm going to say just one last thing here. Just Some of you um, today came in here and uh, you have problems of a certain nature. And those problems of a certain nature, I'll describe like this. There's something that's been in the way in your life for an awfully long time. It just, no matter how you try, you can't seem to get the victory or try to get that prayer, prayer answered, right? And it's one of the most frustrating things in the world to be in a place like that where you're trying, you're trying, you're praying, you're doing all the things everybody told you to do, right? And it just doesn't seem to be budging. I don't suppose anybody's ever experienced that in here, but just in case there's one or two of you, right? And I think what happens is that when love comes, when you can relax and just receive the love of God and learn to access that and 
in the worship or wherever, but you just gain that paradigm and just begin to just receive from the Lord as opposed to try to figure it out, don't leave the figure it out room. It's amazing how wisdom comes from that space. thing of it is, I think for wisdom, sometimes one of our biggest problems is what love will do will settle you down long enough to hear him speak just a couple of words at a time. But what we want is the whole computer readout, and we want it now, right? And we violate something there. The Lord wants to partner with you in your trouble, but you're so busy being afraid and overwhelmed by your problem, but you can't hear anymore. You can't hear his voice anymore. And Kevin can't hear his wisdom. I love that word, this is the way, walk in it. Don't you love that word? And you'll hear a voice behind you say, this is the way, walk in it. What's your this is the way, walk in it? I assure you, as you let the love of God come into your heart, and you begin to make that your top priority, not only just to be a lover, but to receive love from God, I'll tell you, that's what I come to church for. I literally come to church for the worship where I can feel the love of God on me again. And maybe someone to pray for me, right? And maybe a sermon or something that will underline that and help me get closer to that. Because I'll know what to do then. I'll know. I'll have direction. And if it's a scary thing, I'll have the confidence and the power to do it. Because love emboldens you, gives you endurance like nothing else will. Faith goes a certain distance, but love... Doing something from that space will give you, uh, you'll, you'll be, it's like iron on the inside of you. You, you. you do this because you've got compassion. You've got a sense of God wanting you to do this, a sense of that would please God, that God would smile if I did that, right? And that's the best motive of all, right? And but I tell you what, you'll have endless energy from that space, right? any good work that you want to do. And also God will call your attention. Hey, what about that over there? You know, What about this over there? And he'll start calling your attention and you'll go farther in faith than you ever went before in your whole life. Amen? All right, let's all stand. Well, I got quiet in here. <laughs> I don't know if you're sleepy or you're absolutely stunned by the eloquence of that sermon. I don't know. Gee, maybe you're just tired. No, I got a feeling. I got a feeling God has some big stuff for us right now. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, maybe you're a little bit far from feeling the affection of God. Maybe it's been a long, hard trail, and you just like to have a rest from your thoughts, a rest from the concerns you have. Maybe you would like to take a moment's rest. You know, you could do that this morning. You don't even have to come up in the front. But I think sometimes uh, coming up to the front has the added benefit that somebody might just come up and pray for you too. So if I could have some ministry team come up, maybe someone would like to come up to the front. Just come up here and stand in the front and we'll be willing to pray for people. And, um, And if you would just like to come up and just receive and just bask in worship, feel free. Or you could do it from your seat if you like. Just take an extra moment. Somehow or another, I think when you make a move, uh, some kind of activation, some kind of step of faith, I don't know. And even if you just step out into the aisle and just just worship the Lord, or just anything you just do from your seat. Lord, I'm asking you as we all respond to this message, some of us have to go home. Some of us just might want to take a moment, be prayed for, or find a moment's rest in the worship. Lord, would you just come? 
Would you let love permeate this house? Would you help us, Lord, to be confident and beloved at the same time? Those of us that have a decision to make, I pray you would cover us in that decision. Those of us that have a perennial problem and it doesn't seem to go away, I pray you would speak to us about that thing. Just calm our nerves so we could hear clearly, Lord. I pray for the spirit of compassion beyond this place today. May the love of God soak this house. May you get some more love before you leave. May you feel God speak to you. For the Father loves the Son and the daughter and shows him and her what he's doing. May you feel the great compassion of God not only now, but in your devotions and when you go home and when you walk down the road. I pray, Lord, you would awaken our voice, awaken your voice and our spirit to hear you tell us how much you appreciate us how kind you want to be to us, how good you want to be toward us. Come, Lord, saturate this place before we even go today, maybe along the road, and while we're reading our Bibles this week, with the love and compassion of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you have a great week. If you had an encounter during this service, we would love to hear about it in the comments. And for more information, next steps, check our website out at vineyardallin.org. Thank you.